Refuge Church, I am so pumped to be able to be here with you guys today. Uh, thank you, Adam, for uh, allowing me to come. You know, I, had, I told Adam a story yesterday about what I remember about him. And it was my freshman year at BBC, and there's this thing in school for some reason, I don't know why, but uh, the upperclassmen, and this is kind of high schoolish, okay? This, is, this just goes to show you the kind of college that we went to. It's more like a high school, basically. But, um, you know, the upperclassmen don't talk to the freshmen kind of a thing, you know? It's the freshmen are just kind of like the lowest rung of any ladder that you could find. And, and I remember walking into what we call the snack shop, and Adam was there with a friend of his, and we were all on the same floor, and I remember going up to them and being like, hey, guys, how are you? And I'm just like a nerdy little person, like, hey, guys, how are you doing, you know? And um, his friend looked at me, and he was like, hey, we can't talk about these freshmen. And Adam looked at me, and he was like, no, man, we're cool. He's like, what's up, you know? That's the kind of pastor you guys have. And I remember that about Adam going back to 2002 is that Adam is just a, he doesn't care about your, he doesn't care who you are, where you've been. He wants to hear your story and he's going to love on you. All the way back in 2002, that happened 16 years ago. That's the kind of guy that you have to have in your church. Uh, and so he's been this way for a long time and he's just getting better. He's like fine wine, you know. Uh, he gets better with age. I heard him say something about Tanya recently on Facebook, very similar to that. But, uh, you know, my name is, is Ian, and my family and I are missionaries to Australia. Uh, here's a picture of my family, and we're the ones in the middle. Just so that you guys know, I wanted to get any confusion out of the way. Um, but my, my youngest isn't in there. She was born, it'll be five weeks on Tuesday uh, that she was born. And some for some reason... I don't know why, but every time my wife has a baby, I leave for like three weeks. So uh, it happened with the first one, happened with the second one, and it's just tradition now. So I just got to keep it up. But I just got back from the Philippines, as, as Adam had said, and I was there for a leadership conference and to see some uh, evangelistic camps that we hope to bring down to Australia. Uh, and it was so cool. You know, this one church uh, has reached out to other churches in their community and this, from January to May, they brought 80,000 kids through this church, or through this, um, this camp. Of those 80,000 kids, over 35,000 of them made professions of faith in Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Over, over 10,000 of those kids got baptized the very next day by pastors who brought these kids to, to church camp. And over 1,200 of them signed up to go to Baptist Bible College Asia. That's crazy. God is doing amazing things through these. And so I wanted to go and see those camps. Uh, a friend of mine that, that hosts them, that he's, he started them. And so we're looking to bring those into Australia. But I want to share with you a little bit about Australia. I want you to get to know a, a little feel for the country. Uh, and then kind of what we're doing a little bit. And then I'm going to bring... Uh, a message for you today as we talk about vision and what God has, not only for us, but I want you to think about what God has for you uh, in the vision of your life. And so if we go to the next slide. Uh, it's, it, Australia as a country is full of culture. I'm sure you guys can all uh, relate to this picture. You know what this is. This is the, the famous Sydney Opera House. Uh, this is actually New Year's Eve. Uh, Sydney has the largest fireworks show in the world on New Year's Eve from the Sydney Harbor Bridge. Uh, and it's just amazing. To, uh, to see. Now, I did not take that picture, but I'm just not that good of a photographer, so I just stole that online. But if you go to the next one, um, 
you know, there's a city called Melbourne, and I said that correctly, Melbourne, um, and we know of it as Melbourne, but just kind of a, a little bit of the, of the story of how Australia is. You know, there's so much culture, but this is just a picture of what they call beach boxes. Now, some of you might see these and think, okay, I've seen that before. They're iconic in, in Australia, and they're kind of grandfathered in. You can't add any more, and you can't take any away. Uh, but recently, one of these boxes was sold for over $3 million. That's pretty cool, right? You might think to yourself, that's a giant waste of money. And I think that you are right, because that is a huge, giant waste of money. But here's the thing. I'm a church planner, and I would love to meet the guy that has $3 million to blow on one of those. You know what I'm saying? Because I would love to talk to him about planting churches in the capital city of Australia. If you go to the next slide. Um, you know, Australia has so much amazing beauty. This is what we call the 12 apostles. There's actually only like seven of them now because five of them have fallen over. Uh, so I, there's, you know, I don't know, Peter and John and some of those are gone. But, but we still have like seven of them left. Uh, and so, but these are the 12 apostles. Such natural beauty. I've been able to be there. Again, I didn't take that picture. I took a picture, but it didn't come out that good. If you go to the next slide. Um, some of the uh, most amazing beaches in the world are in Australia. Uh, this water right here, you can't swim in for about six months out of the year because there's jellyfish and crocodiles. Uh, so you'll either get stung to death or you'll get eaten alive. So, but, um, but part of the year, you can actually swim there. So, but it has j just some of the most beautiful natural beauty uh, in the world is found in Australia. If you go to the next slide. Um, this is just a giant-sized rock in the middle of the desert. And I, well, here's my theory, is that um, this is where the Grand Canyon went, okay? Like, that's my theory. It's on the other side of the world. The Grand Canyon just kind of fell out on the other side. It's like a, we have an any belly button. Australia has an Audi belly button in the middle of the desert. Um, this rock, though, this is just a giant-sized rock, okay? Uh, but the uh, aboriginal Australians worshipped this rock. And it is kind of weird, because if you're into the earth and stuff like that, it makes no sense that there's a huge red rock, giant red rock. This isn't a mountain. This is a rock. It's a mountain rock, you know, in the middle of the desert. Uh, and so it's a pretty amazing uh, natural phenomenon. If you go to the next slide, um, it has everything there. There's desert. There's rainforest. There's, there's, there's um, tropics. There's, there's forests. It's amazing. Uh, what you can find there. And we've gotten to experience almost all of it. We didn't get to see Ayers Rock, but almost everything else we got to experience while we were there. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. And I'm just trying to get you to come right now, okay? Um, I'm trying to entice you with this, and then we can do some ministry work together. Uh, if you could go to the next slide. Uh, Australians, it's a coffee culture there. They're known for their coffee. They take this from the British, the English, um, that they have tea time. And, but they're known for their coffee culture. And if you told an Australian person, you know, you're kind of snobby when it comes to your coffee. They'd be like, thank you. Like, thank you. You know, Starbucks went to Australia, and there's like four left now. And they're only in touristy areas. Because Australian people will not drink Starbucks. It's not good coffee to them. It's all espresso-style coffee. And even when you invite somebody over to your house, if you say, hey, would you like a coffee? They'll say, hey, what do you have? If it's not espresso-style coffee, they're not going to drink it. So if it's instant coffee or if it's some, like, drip coffee, they're not going to drink that. They need the espresso kind. But it's actually kind of funny. When we first got there, um, they, have, they have these tea times built into their desk. 
And so you wake up and, you know, you eat breakfast. And, you know, breakfast, you have coffee with breakfast. And then around 10 o'clock, you have, um, you have what they call morning tea. And morning tea is, is coffee or tea and a snack. Then you have lunch. Then you have what's called afternoon tea, which is coffee, tea, and a snack. And then you have dinner, or tea, which is dinner. Uh, and then you have, um, you have supper, which is coffee, tea, and a snack. Uh, I gained like 15 pounds when I first moved there. I mean, literally, in the first month, I gained like 15 pounds because I wasn't used to having all these snacks. But it's, de- it's built into their day. The, the cool thing about it is that you don't have to be a smoker to get a break at work. I mean, they're built in. So it's like, hey, everybody gets a break all at the same time. It's awesome. Uh, if you go to the next slide, uh, this is where God has called my family and I back to. Uh, this is Canberra. This is the, the capital of the country of Australia. You might know it as Canberra, uh, but they'll know you're what they call a yank right away uh, if you say that. So this is Canberra. It's the, the, popu- or the, the, the capital of Australia, population 448,000 people that live inside the, 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 ca- or the territory uh, that makes up the ACT. If you go to the next slide. Um, I kind of want to talk to you about how diverse it is. Uh, this is our worship pastor of the church that we work with. His name's Sam and his wife, Sarom. Sam is Korean, and Sam actually grew up in Kazakhstan as a missionary kid. And so Sam speaks Russian, Korean, and English fluently, all three of them. Uh, it's such a diverse place. Um, you know, it, they actually play a game in Sydney called Guess the Australian because you just don't know who they are. Like, there's so many different uh, cultures that are represented uh, and so many different immigrants that are coming in that make the culture so rich and so diverse. If you go to the next slide, um, these are some of our best friends, Chris and his wife, Hazel. Uh, they're from England. They were part of our connect group the entire time uh, that we were in Australia. In fact, Chris was messaging me last night uh, about praying for him about some things. And so uh, if you go to the next slide, uh, these are our friends, Vainan and Suzanne and their son, Tian. And this is, uh, uh, Tian got baptized on this day. They're from South Africa. And we actually got to live with them for about a month and a half while we were there in Australia uh, as we were looking for a place and right before we left. Uh, beautiful, beautiful people. The, the capital of South Africa, outside of South Africa, uh, is Australia. Uh, Canberra has the most dense, or is the most per capita, it's the capital of South Africa outside uh, of the country of South Africa. If you haven't seen what's going on in South Africa, you should look it up. Uh, because these people are moving to Australia in droves. But really what I'm trying to get to is the fact that there is so much, um, there's so much potential uh, there in Australia. Some of our best friends, there's a guy named Sharif and his wife Bahara, and they're Iranian, and they're believers in Jesus. And it's just amazing to get to see people from all over, from different cultures. And what excites me about it is that we have an opportunity in Australia to train up leaders and to send them back to places that we can't get into that we can't go to, to plant churches that preach Jesus in cities and in countries that we can't get into. Uh, And so pray with me uh, that God would help us to use that. If you could go to the next slide. Uh, There's there's Australian people in Australia too, just so that you guys, uh, if you didn't know, this is my friend Ernie and his wife Belinda. Um, They're actually going to be in Dallas in July. I'm really looking forward to seeing them then. Uh, But they're some of the leaders of the church that we worked at uh, there. But I just wanted to show you a picture of Australian people, just so that you guys understood. Uh, There are Australians there as well. If you go to the next slide, um, here's kind of what God's laid on our heart. Uh, God has laid on our heart the desire to plant churches in suburbs of Canberra. And let me just kind of share with you how Canberra's built. Canberra's built in large suburbs that are made up of smaller suburbs. 
Uh, and so to the north, there was a large suburb that we lived in called Gingala. And to, to the west of that was a suburb called Belconnen. And to, you know, to the south of that, there's, there's Hughes. There's different suburbs that are made up. But inside Gingalan, there's like 20 suburbs. And our church was in a suburb called Amaru. I lived in a suburb called Bonner. Uh, there's Casey. There's Taylor. There's Mitchell. There's, there's, just, there's like 20 suburbs inside the suburb of, suburb of Gingalan. And in the suburb that our church was called Amaru, uh, there's about 6,000 people that live there. And here's what I realized is that, you know what, a church of 100 people can't do an adequate job of reaching 100,000 people. But you know what a church of 100 people could do? We might be able to do an adequate job of reaching 6,000 people. And so here's what God's kind of laid on my heart, is that we would, we would plant churches in suburbs and that our churches would be fully devoted to reaching that suburb for Jesus. And here's what I mean by that. I mean that when we go in, we feed our suburb, we clothe our suburb, we, we tutor the kids, we, we, we help the parents, we, we, we put on parties for our, for our suburb, we clean our suburb. We do everything we can to reach into the lives of the people of our suburb. Recently, we, we partnered with a group called Nana um, that's going to allow us to, to open an after-school program so we can tutor kids and we can have something for kids of our community so that they don't have to go home to an empty house. Uh, and parents are looking for this. They're looking for this in our community. And it's just another way to reach into their lives and reach into their home. And we do this for two reasons. Number one, we do want them to know the gospel. We do want them to know Jesus. But you know what? This is what Jesus would do. He would love on people, regardless of whether they were ever going to accept him or whether they weren't. And so our, our desire in doing this is that we can help our community, that we can love our community, whether they ever come to know Jesus or not. But we definitely do desire that they come to know Christ. And so that's just one way that we're going to um, reach into the community. If you go to the next slide. Um, these are hard-to-reach people. Um, this is my friend, or my wife's friend, Kelly. Uh, Amanda met Kelly at the park one day. And Kelly had kids that were around the age of our kids. Uh, and so they kind of sparked a friendship right away because literally our kids were born like days apart from each other. Uh, and they sparked a friendship right away. But here's, here's what, what, what the deal is, is that on Kelly's 30th birthday, Amanda had said to me before, she said, Ian, I, I know I have to be intentional with my relationship with this girl because we're losing in nine months. And she said, I feel like I just have to share the gospel with her. I just have to talk to her about Jesus. I just have to lay it out for her. And so she said, I said, well, do whatever you have to. And so she said, oh, I'm going to take her to lunch on her birthday. She took her to lunch, and she shared the gospel with her. She told her about, about what Jesus did for her. And she looked at my wife and said, I've never heard that before. I never knew that. I never knew that Jesus came and he died for me. I never heard that. And she didn't accept Christ that day. But you know what? Well, before we left, we gave her this Jesus storybook Bible for her kids. And she messages my wife, and she says, hey, these stories are starting to make sense to me from a little kid's Bible. Isn't that awesome? These stories are starting to make sense to this lady. Yeah, right? But they're hard to reach people. Pray for Kelly, that God would just do a work in her heart and in her life. Uh, Kelly and her husband, Tim. Because these are the kind of people, we would love to start churches with people like this. People that didn't know Jesus, that were far from God, that we reached out to, and that they were drawn close to God. And so pray for, for Kelly. If you go to the next slide, this is my friend Connor. Um, I ended up witnessing to Connor for two years. The entire time we were there, I met him the first week we were in Australia. And Connor was an atheist, and he, he, for some reason, he thought I was cool. I think it was just that 
I have an accent to them. So it's really funny when kids walk up to you and they're like, I love your accent in the strongest Australian accent you can imagine. They're like, hey, I love your accent, mate. You know, and you're like, whoa, hello, you know. But Connor, Connor would come to me all the time and he would just, you know, he's like, hey, Ian, um, you know, he would talk about politics and religion and everything. And one day he came to me, he says, we, we would do this thing called Breakfast Club where we went to the high school and we would make breakfast for between 60 and 100 kids every week, every Wednesday. And Connor would come, and every time he'd find me. And one time he says to me, hey, Ian, I forgot to ask you. I never asked you before. Why, do you, why are you guys here? And I just said, hey, Connor, because um, the deal was is that we weren't allowed to talk about God or the church or anything unless we were asked. And so I was like, hey, well, Connor, we're actually with the local church. We're with, uh, you know, North Point. And he's like, really? He's like, oh, I hate the church. And he begins to tell me the story about his grandfather and how, you know, his grandfather had given so much money to the Catholic church, and when he died, uh, they didn't do anything for him. They wouldn't do his funeral, they didn't do anything. And I was like, man, I'm sorry that happened to you. I just want you to know I'm not, I'm not part of the Catholic Church, but, I mean, I'm sorry that happened to you. Um, you know, we're here because we love you, and we want you to know Jesus loves you and that God loves you. Uh, and if there's anything I can do for you, let me know, you know? And he came to me a couple weeks later, and he's like, hey, Ian, you'd be so proud of me. I started reading my Bible. And for me, I was, like, awestruck. I was like, um, atheists have Bibles? <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, but he's like, yeah, I started reading my Bible, and, and, and I just said, wow, Connor. I said, that was so awesome. I said, Connor, I just want to encourage you to keep reading your Bible. Because whether you believe the stories of the Bible or not, there's principles in the Bible that will make your life better, man. If you live by some of these principles in the Bible, they will make your life better. He's like, okay, I'll keep reading. And, and then he gets to this place in Matthew, and he calls me one afternoon. And just so that you know, Connor knows nothing about the Bible. And if you know anything about the Bible this morning... Um, it starts in Genesis, and then there's this thing called the Old Testament, which is like a heap of books long. And then there's the New Testament. And Matthew starts the New Testament. And just so that you know, like over half the Bible is the Old Testament, okay? And he reads all the way through that to Matthew, all right? And he's in Matthew, and he's like, I got to this place where they put Jesus to death. And he's like, it, it, it occurred to me that it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't the Romans that wanted to kill Jesus. It was the religious people. And I was like, wow, Connor. <laughs> Again, I thought, wow, an astute observation for an atheist to make about the Bible, right? I mean, that's kind of, that's, I didn't think that atheists made those kind of observations about the Bible. And, but I said, man, you are so right. Jesus came into the world and he flipped the religious system upside down. And he said, it's not about your works. It's about putting your faith in Jesus. It's about putting your faith in God and what he's going to do for you. Yeah. And Connor didn't accept Jesus that day. But two weeks before I left Australia, I got to lead Connor to Jesus. And it was, it was as if God was saying, it was as if God was reminding me, Ian, this is where I have you. Like, I have a place for you here. I have a, I have a purpose for you here in Australia. Two weeks before I leave, Connor comes to know Jesus. Since then, I've heard messages from, from Australia. A lady called Nerida uh, messaged me. She said, Ian, Connor has been at church the last two weeks. His dad, an atheist, offered him $100 each week to not go. And Connor said, I need to go to church. Connor messaged me uh, about a month ago and says, hey, Ian, I want you to know something. I'm getting baptized tomorrow. And so is that not awesome? This is a 17-year-old kid that, that he got it, and he, sold out. he is sold out for Jesus now. He truly understands who Jesus is and what he's done for him. So pray for Connor. This is the kind of guy that I would love to plant a church with one day. 
I'd love to see God take an atheist and make him into a pastor and be a drug dealer and turn him into a hope dealer. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be amazing? If you go to the next slide. Uh, 40% of our country claims no religion. Only 2% of the Australian people know Jesus. You know, the Bible teaches us there's one way to heaven. There's one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. And that means that if Australia was 100 people, 98 of them would not get to heaven. They, they would be destined for eternal, eternal punishment in hell. That's what the Bible teaches. 98% of the Australian people, 98 out of 100, are destined to spend eternity separated from God. If you go to the next slide, I just want to ask you to pray. You know, in, in, in Jonah, there's a you know, book in the Bible called Jonah where this guy, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's running from God, but he, he's going to this place called Nineveh. And Nineveh is, is like his enemies. The Ninevites, he hates them. And he doesn't want to go, but anyway, he ends up there. And I won't tell you the entire story about how he ends up there, but he ends up in, in Nineveh. And, and what happens, the Bible says that he, he tells them the message of Jesus one time. And you know what happens to his enemies? They turn to God in droves. I mean, in droves. I'm praying that for Australia, that we can get there and that the heart of the Australian people are so broken that when we share the message of Jesus with them and we share the hope of Christ with them, that they turn and that things change in a powerful way. So would you pray uh, for that and pray that we can return soon. But I want to talk to you guys this morning a little bit more about our vision uh, and a little bit about vision because you know what? I'm obsessed with a vision of taking and planting churches in Australia. I'm absolutely obsessed with it. You know, when somebody has a vision from God, when somebody, um, when somebody sees something from God, when somebody um, feels as if God has something for them, you know, everything changes. They start taking these mundane moments of life and turning them into moments of change. And those, those little times where you're just sitting around watching TV, they're doing something different. They're researching how I can better reach out to these people. They're doing something. They're working on their vision. They take those small moments. And you know what? Here's what I am. I'm a guy who had a job in, a, in, in Missouri. We had two good jobs, both me and my wife. We were comfortable. Um, we had family close by. And now I'm a guy who goes around the world, who has family a 30-hour plane ride away, who makes, who lives in one of the most expensive cities in the world and makes a lower middle class salary because God gave me a vision. Because God gave us a vision of reaching people that we didn't even know. And you know what? Vision is a funny thing because when God gives somebody a vision, it, it, it turns things that are just otherwise look silly into something that we're just trying to accomplish. And again, it takes those mundane moments of life and turns them into productive moments of growth and change. Vision is funny because one moment you, you don't have any, and then the next moment God lights you on fire with a passion to do something different. And I want to talk to you this morning about that. You know, there's a pastor, his name is, is Yonggi Cho. Sounds like a funny name to me, but Yonggi Cho, he's a pastor in South Korea, and he had a vision of planting a church that would reach one million people. 
His church today is the largest church in the world with over 800,000 members. Can you imagine hearing him share his vision and how ridiculous he would sound as he says, I want to build a church. I want to see a church of one million believers worshiping Jesus every Sunday. And now there's a church in Seoul, Korea. Vision's important because where there's no vision, the Bible says the people perish. A vision for God is important because the greatest change agent in our world is a guy named Jesus. Jesus changes people. And I've seen this firsthand. I've seen this in my city of, of Springfield through a ministry called Freeway Ministries and a guy called John Strope. John Strope is tattooed all up and around his body. He obviously has a past. John Strope dealt with addiction. And one day Jesus met him in a cell in a jail. And now John reaches out to people in Springfield, Missouri. And what they do is they reach out to addicts, people that are in jail. They reach out to homeless people, and they give them Jesus. But you know what happens? When people find Jesus, they lay down their addiction. He breaks chains. When people find Jesus, when people like us find Jesus, we reach out to people like that, that are homeless. They need help. They need help with addiction. They're not lost forever. They need help. They need hope. They need Jesus. And I've seen it. I've seen Jesus change the lives of people who the world would give up on. Jesus changes people for the better. I want to show you three ways real quick this morning that Jesus changes people for the better. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And the verses are going to be on the screen. Let me pull it my, out of my pocket. If the verses are on the screen, maybe I'll just read them from here. Uh, the Bible says this, Christ's love controls us since we believe that Jesus... Never mind. I'll do it on my Oh, yeah, there we go. Since we, believe, uh, since we believe that Christ died for all, uh, we all, or we also believe that we have all died to our old self. He died for everyone. Let me try and get it all here. Never mind. That's the next one. He died for everyone. Where are we now? This is one of those awkward moments we were talking about earlier. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. If we go to the next slide. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of res reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation so that we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And so let me show you this morning. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that's one of those things that it's like, hey, we can just pray now and we can leave. But unfortunately, I'm going to make you sit around and listen to what I have to say about that. I'm kidding. Um, but let me just show you three ways that Jesus changes people for the better. The first is that he changes our character. He literally changes who you are at the core of your being. He changes you from the inside out. He changes, he changes how you look at people. And this is what is so cool is that the Bible says is that 
We used to see people after the flesh, but we see them like that no longer. We used to know Christ as our flesh, but we don't know him like that. So what does that mean? You see, what that means is that we used to look at people, and we used to see tall people and short people, and fat people and skinny people, and black people and white people, and Republicans and Democrats, and gay people and straight people. We used to see it like that, right? But we don't see it like that no more. We see it like this. We see it one of two ways. Lost people and found people. That's all we see. At least that's what we're supposed to see. That's what Jesus is supposed to do to us. That's what's supposed to happen when we know Christ. Is that we're not supposed to look at people and say, oh my goodness. What is wrong with that guy? We're supposed to look at people and say, I wonder if they know Jesus. I wonder if they have the hope of Jesus inside of them. Because when you meet Jesus, he changes who you are at the core of your being. You see, the love of Jesus led him to a cross to die for the sins of men and women all around the world. And that same love is inside of us. You are an image bearer, and it's inside of you. That love that Jesus had in his heart that led him to die for your sins and mine, it's inside of you. Luke chapter 10, Jesus is with his followers. And he says to his followers, he's like, hey, look over there at this, at this group of people. He says, the fields over there, they're white unto harvest. And I'm just guessing he wasn't talking about their skin color, okay? Like, he wasn't like, look at all the white people over there. Because they were in the Middle East, you know, so I don't know. But anyway, but he's like, look over there, the fields are white unto harvest. And he wasn't looking at their outward appearance, he was looking inside. And he was saying, they're ready to hear the message. And then he says this, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into his harvest. You know, you're in Maine, and I want you to know something. It's hard here. I know it's hard. But when some people look at, at the hardness, I want you to look at the harvest. Okay? I don't want you to look and say, man, these people are just so hard to reach. I want you to look at the harvest, like Jesus did. They're ready to hear it. Are you going to take the message that Jesus did? They're ready to hear it. See, so we don't look at homeless people and drug addicts. We don't look and see politicians and lawyers. We look and see lost people and found people. That's what we do. Jesus changes who you are at the very core of your being. Jesus changes your passion. See, our passion is changed by this good news that we have to share. God has made us new people, new creations. The old ways of living after the flesh are now gone, and a new way of living has come. That means that we used to live for ourselves, but now we live for Jesus. We used to live for ourselves, but now we live for our friends and our neighbors. Jesus has changed us, and he's given us a new passion. You see, the Bible tells us that mankind was at war with God. And God desired peace for mankind. And so God went to war with his son as he, as he was hung on a cross. The verses here tell us, verse 19 says that God reconciled the world to himself by not counting our sins against us. Verse 21 says that God made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so that's what this means. That every sin you've ever committed in your life, from the day that you were born till right now, it was placed on Jesus when he, when he died on that cross. And the wrath of the Father was poured out on him like it should have been on you. And here's the other cool part, is that every sin that you commit from right now until the end of time 
was placed on Jesus. And when you did what you did, when you did that worst thing that you can imagine, when a husband cheats on his wife, Jesus knew it. And he died for you anyway. When a man murders his kid, Jesus knew it. And he died for him anyway. That's crazy radical love. Jesus knew what you would do. And he died for you anyway. And your sin was placed on him. And then God takes the righteousness of Jesus and he puts it on you. And now today, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, God looks at you and he sees a perfect family that he can love. He sees his son, Jesus. That's what he does. That's an amazing story that we have to tell. And that should make you passionate to get the message of Jesus to your friends, to your neighbors, to your loved ones. You know, hell is a real place. And people that don't know Jesus go there. I don't say that because I like it. I say that because it's true. We need to be thinking about that. We need to realize that our neighbors might not know Christ. We have family members that don't know Christ. Does that break your heart? Does that break your heart? That they might spend eternity separated from God in hell. Our passion is changed by Jesus. And number three, our word is changed by Jesus. This might be the coolest thing of all. Is that our word is changed by Jesus. The Bible tells us in one of those verses it says that, that we're made ambassadors for Christ. And Paul, the guy that wrote it, says like this. He's like, it's as if God himself is speaking through us. And I want you to understand that. And he's like, we're, we're pleading on behalf of Christ. See, an ambassador takes the wishes of our nation. So like our ambassadors take the wishes of our nation to a foreign nation. And they say, this is what America wants. We take the wishes of God. And we say, this is what God wants. He offers peace to you. Let me, let me tell you the message of God. When you speak to your friends and your neighbors and your loved ones, anybody that you come in contact with, when you speak and you're speaking the message of God to them, it's as if God himself is speaking through you. Is that the coolest thing you've ever heard or what? That God would talk through you. And it's as if God himself is speaking through you and he's drawing people to himself. And so, God, Jesus, when we meet him, it changes our character, it changes our passion, it changes our word. And so, I just want to challenge you this morning. You know, people's eternity is at stake here. People's lives are at stake here. And I want to challenge you this morning to do everything you do for the message of Jesus. If you're a business owner in here this morning, I want you to make more money. I don't know if you've ever heard that from, like, a preacher before. But I want you to make more money so that the message of Jesus can go farther. If you're raising kids this morning, I want you to raise your kids to love the message of Jesus so that the message can go farther. If you're a husband here this morning, be the best husband you can so that your testimony can be used to send the message of Jesus farther. If you're a wife in here this morning, be the best wife you can be so that the message of Jesus can go farther. It's very, very important. Today I want you to evaluate what your vision is. What is your vision in life? What were you made for? Mark Twain said this. He said, the two greatest days in a person's life are the day that they're born and the day that they find out why. Why did God make you? I am convinced that God made me 
he put me together inside my mom so that I could take the message of Jesus to extremes. And the same for my life. That's my purpose. It's great because I don't have a job. I live my calling. I live my purpose. What is your purpose this morning? There's a guy called Mark Batterson, and he writes a book called Chasing the Lion. And in it, he says this, the average person today dies at the age of 27. And then we bury them at the age of 72. And that's the truth. We stop dreaming. We stop visioning. We stop having vision for what could be, for what might be different. We stop remembering who's for us, and we start, remember, we start thinking about what's against us and who's against us. That's a sad reality. And this morning, I just want to ask you, what is your vision? There's a guy from Fiji. Um, his name is Suliasi Karulo. And Fiji is an impoverished nation. And you might think of Fiji and think, wow, resorts and all. That's just a couple of rich people that made some resorts for a bunch of Westerners, you know, to enjoy the beach and all. But Fiji's an incredibly impoverished nation. You go a mile inland and it's, it's terrible. But this man had a vision. He had a dream of planting 10,000 churches on the Pacific Island. To this day, he's planted over 5,000 churches. What an awesome vision, right? What an awesome dream for your life. To use your life for the message of Jesus. You know, this church is here because God gave a man and a woman a vision. That they were going to pastor one day the refuge church. And now, years later, here we are. We're standing in Wyndham High School at the refuge church. And we're worshiping Jesus together. What is your vision? You know, my vision for Australia is that God would use my family and I to plant a church in every suburb of Canberra. That's over 100 churches. And that through those churches, we could plant over 1,000 before we die. And that in Canberra, we could have at least one church with an average Sunday attendance of over 100 people. It's a crazy dream. nuts but you know what I choose not to remember all the things that are against me I choose to remember the one that's for me Jesus is for me God is for me and I want I want to ask you today what is your purpose and I want to remember I want you to remember one thing that when everybody reminds you of how hard it's been and everybody reminds you of all the obstacles in the way. I want you to remember, if your vision is from God, that God wants this to happen in your life. What is your vision? I'm going to pray over you this morning. I want you to be thinking about this. Maybe this is the start for you. Maybe this is where you realize, I've been coasting through life. I've been going to work to get a paycheck to put food on the table. I've been going to work to save for retirement. But I have no vision I'm just living. I died at 27. I stopped dreaming. Maybe this is the beginning for you. But I want to pray over you this morning that God would give you a vision to change this community, to change your family, 
to change this world with the message of Jesus. And if you've never experienced what it's like to accept Jesus in your life, I want to pray for you this morning. And so if you just bow your heads and close your eyes, I just want to pray over every single person in here this morning. God, I thank you so much for the Refuge Church. God, I thank you for the vision that you gave Adam and Tanya. That one day they would, they would be in a place that offered refuge to a community. God, before they even knew where it was, you gave them a name. You gave them an identity. You, you showed them what that was going to be like. And God, here we are, years later. And there's a church here that offers hope, that offers refuge to a community. God, I pray for the individuals in here this morning that might not know Jesus. God, I pray that in their life this morning, you will remove the doubt that's inside of them. God, that faith would find a home in their hearts this morning. God, I pray for every individual in here who realizes this morning they've been coasting. They're visionless. God, I pray that you'll put a vision in their heart this morning. God, for those who have given up on their vision, they they know all of the obstacles in their way. I pray that this morning you'll remind them that you are for them and that you put that vision in their heart and you desire to accomplish it. God, I pray that you'll accomplish amazing things in this city, in this community, God, in this state. Let it start here. Let revival start here for our world, for our country, for our cities. God, let it start in our hearts and work its way from here. We love you. We thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for being for us. We thank you for being a God who can do above what we can ever ask or ever imagine, God. And I pray that we will take this understanding that you are for us, God, and that we will go to our homes, God, and that we will remember that we have victory in you and that nothing can stand against us. No person, no devil, no nothing can stand against us because you're for us and you have conquered everything. You've conquered death, you've conquered the grave, you've conquered the devil, you've conquered our enemies, God. Help us to remember that this morning. We love you and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give Ian a hand this morning? Yeah. As you do, would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? We're going to do things just a, a hair different today. Um, you know, as, as Ian was, was, was talking, he, he, he said that when, when Jesus changes us, he, we no longer look at people in the context of what we used to look at them, but we look at them in two, as two different types of people, people that are lost and people that are found. The fact of the matter is, is that when I look out here every Sunday morning, I see everyone as lost or found. Because when we move to Wyndham, and when Ian moves to Australia, he is going there so that lost people would turn into found people. So we move here that lost people would be turned to found people. So this morning, the challenge is really simple. If you're sitting there and you say, you know what, I think I might be lost. We've got right over here in, the, in, the, in my right hand and your left-hand corner of the, of the auditorium. We have a thing that we... We call the next step station. 
If you're lost and you want to be found today, stop at our next step station. My friends, Amy and Marcel are already back there waiting for you. In fact, if you know that you need to stop there, don't don't wait for the end of this song to go there. Like, go, go right away. And if you're here and you have just a, a need, a burden that you've been carrying alone, uh, I've got my friend Marcel and, and my friend Kim that are up here. Amy's in the back at the, at the next step station. And Amy will take care of you if you're lost and you want to be found. Marcel and Kim will take care of you if you just have a need that you want to pray. But we're going to sing a song together. We, this part of our service, I feel like we, like, I want to do it better. Because this song is a celebration of what God has done today and what God is going to do this week. This is a preparation, an expectation of what Jesus is going to do this week. And we're going to celebrate together. So would you do me a favor? Would you sing this song with us? And then we'll be dismissed.